0: For those who remain, we do not have noisemakers. I do not have treats or cookies. We do get to gather around the word of life and hear the word of the Lord this morning from Isaiah chapter 61. I would invite you to join me there, Isaiah chapter 61, in, in a Bible or a, a, a device of your choosing. We're going to read the first four verses and then skip down to verse 8 for the rest of the chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit, they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display His glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations." Verse 8, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offsprings among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are the people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord with my whole being shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom deck, for as the earth brings forth its shoots and the garden as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all nations. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's be to God. Though the candles are not lit, they are lit in our heart, and we, with the imaginative eye, can see them burning. The weeks have passed, hope, peace, and now we are at joy. Joy is often interpreted in this time of year in that holly jolly Christmas sort of ways, which is one of the growing songs that I hate most. Away in a manger, Santa Claus is coming to Clown Town, Clown, Town, and Holly Jolly Christmas. I swear every year I'm getting more and more to the point where I'm starting to think, you know, that Ebenezer Scrooge guy, he had some good ideas. Upbeat songs play in every store you enter. Tinsel and lights are placed on every available surface. There is a glimmer and shine of everything around that sparkles and distracts us from the harsh reality, the fact that many of us don't feel very holly jolly this time of year. For for many of us, the and displays aren't quite bright enough to erase the pain of grief, grief, the darkness of poverty, the loneliness of heartache. There there just isn't enough tinsel around to cover over the despair. You might even come into worship today and, and see that pink candle and think, huh, what is there to be joyful about? Joy seems impossible for those live in the land of darkness. Which is why I think it's very appropriate for us to gather today and to read this text from Isaiah 61. Here the people of God are hopeless and lost in despair. We talked about this just a few weeks ago in, in Isaiah chapter 64. Where the prophet calls out to the heavens, O oh Lord, rip open the heavens and come down prophet cries. The exiles are returning home, and as they return home, they find the land nothing like they expected. Looking over the ruins of Jerusalem, they are grief-stricken at all they have lost. Not only are they living in the midst of a hopeless situation, not only are they wondering where their peace went, but they are also sitting in that place where joy has escaped. And yet, into this place of pain and sorrow, the prophet Isaiah preaches a word not just of hope, not just of peace, but of joy, unspeakable. Good news for all who hear, that the pain and the sorrow, the despair and the oppression that they are feeling right now can and will be replaced by joy. And is there anything in this world more full of unspeakable joy than macroeconomics? One, one of the problems with this setup and, and online is, is I don't know if you know when I'm joking. Now, granted, I, I know that was a problem we all had before we, we, we transitioned into this place, but, but it's even more amplified. So in all fairness, the text today is not about macroeconomics. I know you're, you're heartbroken, and, and I, I, was, I was struggling to find a, a transition here. So there were four—I'm just going to jump out that whole train— there, there were four primary economic codes that Israel followed. Number one it was tithing, giving 10% of whatever you brought in, whatever you harvested— to the temple to, to the poor it was put off into a storehouse if you brought in 10 bushels of olives one of those bushels gets set aside that was how their economics of money was prescribed now when they came to temple for special times there were other offerings that they did but that day in and day out harvest time setting aside a tenth a tithe was what they did the, the second economic the second economic code was this idea of sabbath Once One day out of seven, they were to rest and worship. And then every seventh year, all of the land would be rested in a time. They they wouldn't plant, they wouldn't sow. The whole place would be furrowed, all of their animals. This was their economy of time. Their rhythm and life was marked by the rhythm of God. The the third is gleaning. The, The edges of the field were never harvested all the way. That was reserved for the poor and the refugee and the immigrant to come and gather food. This was their economy of productivity. Profits couldn't be squeezed out of every nook and cranny. There was something much more important than efficiency. Efficiency, such a dirty word. The fourth and most revolutionary was something called the Year of Jubilee. After seven cycles, of this Sabbath year. So every 49 years, seven times seven, on the 50th year, what was set aside as the year of Jubilee, everything would get reset. The entire economic system would be overdone. Debts would be forgiven. Land would be returned. Prisoners would be set free. On the day of Yom Kippur, the the holy day of uh, uh, atonement, in that 50th year, that day when the blood of the spotless land was sprinkled on the Holy of Holies, the priest after in Jerusalem, he would take a, a shofar, a ram's horn, and he would blow it, and it would ring across the city. And at that moment, there would be a cry, a shout of joy would spread across the Judean hillside. For the day of jubilee had come. The year of the Lord's favor had arrived. According to Leviticus 25, jubilee was a day of liberation and restoration. You see, Israel was kind of like us, that that if you got in a situation where you couldn't pay your debts, your, your land would be foreclosed upon. And if that got big enough, then you would be taken into a form of slavery indentured servanthood. And then you would have to give yourself out, lease your labor to pay off your debt. You would work for someone else. But on the day of Jubilee, when that shofar sounded, you were freed. And more than just having your freedom, all of your land was returned to you. All of your debts were canceled. The theology behind this was that God had given them their land. God had apportioned it out for them. Therefore, it belonged to the Lord, and they were caretakers. And you can just imagine the magnitude of that moment. You can picture yourself there in the hot eastern sun, bearing down upon your back as you worked someone else's field, breathing that dry desert air as you worked someone else's land, kept someone else's herds. And then one day a trumpet blows and you are free. And all of your debts, no matter how great they are, are canceled. You gather up your family and you return to your ancestral home. You return to the land that God had given you. This was the Lord's gift to the, of rest to his people. This was the year of the Lord's favor. Now in the Bible, we have records of Israel keeping sometimes most of these economic practices. They, they gave tithes, they gave offerings, they, they, they worked on these other things. They never followed them well or consistently, but there's still a record. Jubilee was different. Jubilee was never recorded in in the Old Testament as actually being practiced. In fact, there's some contemporary scholars who wonder if that isn't even the point. The jubilee could be read as a tool of the ruling class to keep the workers happy and in their place. As if it was all a big ploy by the wealthy to disenfranchise the poor, to hold out this hope while never changing their situation. Now, I don't, I don't think I'm fully convinced by that kind of modern argument, but but there is a, a hint of, of truth there. This carrot, just out of reach, just work a few more years and then you'll be released. It keeps everyone in their place. Part of it is that carrot that good news is just so good. Your debts are forgiven. I mean, think of that feeling you have that not in your when you owe someone money and they come around. That disappears in a moment. That worry you have when you go to the mail and you, you find an unexpected bill. That ability, it would be to be able to invest in new ideas, to follow your passion. Who cares about Bank of America and Chase? Your mortgage is done, and your mortgage is done. Everyone's mortgage is paid. Your family get to land. Land ownership back then, as today, meant security. It was how they and how we build generational wealth. It would mean that you would be able to grow your own food. You would be able to be self-sufficient. You would be able to take care of yourself. You would be able to raise livestock. You would be released from prison. Back in Israel, the primary way that people were in, in prison, in different servanthood, and in slavery was economic means. They couldn't pay their debts. But by the way, that's, that's most people that are in jail today for that same reason. They, they can't make bail. Jubilee, therefore, meant that debt, forgiveness, and release for captivity for some. It was a time for the world to start again. The year of Jubilee was a moment of grace and hope and overwhelming joy for everyone. Well, I, I guess if your name was Bezos or Buffett, it wouldn't be a great day of joy because <laughs> the other side of wealth is, is debt and, and savings. Canceling debt is to cancel the other. Everyone starts back at square one. But if you were in that place of living in the land of broken hope, if you were, your dreams had been dispersed like a raisin in the sun, then jubilee was a day of unspeakable joy. You hear them? I don't know if you can hear them at home, but they're having a good time at godly play. It was a day of promise that would affect Uh, give you strength to face the reality of the day and that's what God does my friends in the words of the prophet God comes to the people in the midst of a hopeless situation this lost city with their guard trampled and ruined with their homes burned down and God is giving them transforming joy the cinders of this place are going to be a fertile ground in which new life will come A crown will replace the ashes. This very land will be a place to start again. It's a love playing field. An opportunity to be who God had called them to be at the beginning. Verse 3, they will be called oaks of righteousness. That means the people will be what God had wanted them to be when he brought them out of Egypt Egyptian slavery. To be a justice-loving, righteous people. This means in this place of joy, their sins, their mistakes can be left behind in the rubble and they can start new. God is going to do this. God is going to bring hope and healing and joy. But God's not going to do it on God's self, on his own. Verse 4, they shall build, they shall raise up, they shall repair. God is inviting humanity into a work of participation into community. That's what God also does. And God, in creation formed the man and the woman. He, He planted the garden and then he invited the man to name the animals, to join God in that caring, giving, good work. Isaiah 61, the Lord anoints the prophet who then goes out same is true, though, for us. Jubilee is a work of cooperation between God and the people of God. The people of God are the ones who preach the good news. The people of God are the ones who bind up the brokenhearted. We are the ones who bring freedom to the captives, release from darkness, comfort to those who mourn. You know, we don't know for sure whether Israel ever practiced the jubilee. And, and, and we don't really know whether this was something that was intended or used to keep people in their place. But we do know beyond the shadow of a doubt that it wasn't God who dropped the ball. And whether they did it or not, their calling to celebrate jubilee didn't change. And regardless of Israel's faithfulness, or maybe in lack thereof, God remains faithful and good, despite their disobedience. God will usher in jubilee. To paraphrase Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, what man may have intended for evil, God has used for good. Now, that doesn't change the place they were living. This hope, of Jubilee comes in the midst of a city broken and barren and destroyed. Gave the hardship that they were facing or the grief that they experienced, but it redeems their life and transforms it into something beautiful. And finally, my friends, that is what God does above all else. God comes to us. God invites us to participate with him. And finally, God ultimately redeems. You see, ours is the God who takes what is the worst in the world, the most helpless, the most hurtful, the most barren and broken situation, and transforms it into something good. As resurrection people, we believe that God comes even into sin and death and brings about life. God is good despite the circumstances. Isaiah 61 shows us that God is faithful in spite of unfaithfulness of people. That despite people putting themselves in such a dire situation, God is working for their good. God is still inviting them to work and bring about good news for the poor and joy instead of mourning. And my friends, that is the same thing today. When a family is freed from the cycles of abuse, we see joy. When hungry people are fed, we see joy. When those who mourn know that they are not alone in their grief, there is joy. We are called to partner with God, to be joy bringers in the world And joining with the mission of God in the world, we share that hope and joy to the world that is often filled with hopelessness and despair. Beloved, in the midst of our despair, our God is at work. In the midst, is at work. When everything around us is broken and burned, God is at work. And even in that moment of our sin, we are not abandoned or left alone, for God seeks to transform our pain. In a world that seeks to, to cover over everything with pencil and lights, God comes to make it better, to bring about good, to make pain into glory, to bring life out of ashes so we trust during this Advent season that Christ came to bring about the kingdom of God in our world. And we hope that Christ will come again and make things all the right. But we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that the year of the Lord has already come to us in Jesus Christ. For God came in Jesus and did the thing that we could never do. And so we can have joy. We can look to those places where God is already at work turning ashes into beauty. But this work of joy, this this thing that we see, isn't something that we look back and watch and wait for. It is what we participate in. Just like the call to jubilee for the Israelites, so too remains our call to join with God and God's mission in the world. We have the opportunity to be present with those who mourn, to bring light into darkness, to do the work of justice, to live in righteous ways. And by doing that, others will see and come to know the joy of the Lord. And that is good news for us today. There is unspeakable joy despite circumstances. There is good news in the world too. And so we must be joy bringers. We must be those who rebuild and care for others. We must be those who share the good news of great joy for all people today and tomorrow and in the dark days ahead. Let us pray. And now, O Christ, your joy sparks anew in our hearts on this day. For we recount, O Lord, what you have done. That thing that we could never do. Bringing life out of death. Bringing hope out of despair. Bringing joy in wherever situation and circumstances we find. I pray, O God, that you would so spark that joy in our hearts. That we do the work of caring for those who mourn. That we preach good news to the poor that we actively engage in the release of the captives so that jubilee, so that freedom and grace and love and salvation may come and fall from heaven and so that we may know that the day of the Lord has arrived. This we pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.